Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and blessing, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. It brings you the wisest counsel and most fascinating people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your anonymous Bosch of business. And this very day, you, are, my friend, are going to hear the astonishing tales of wise insights of a courageous visionary who has developed both an organization and a system to protect civilians in war and violence-torn areas. And he uses well-trained but and totally unarmed peacekeepers. I'm a returning guest, Mr. Mel Duncan, founder of the Nonviolent Peace Force, who, among his many accolades, uh, Mel was recently selected as one of the eight honorees to receive our Prometheus Social Enterprise Awards for the beneficial and life-saving work that he and his crew perform all around the world. And my friend, on that night, September 19th, Mel uplifted and inspired us all with his Torchbearer talks, which you can, and my, my friend, you really should hear his talk. Just visit bartsbooks.com and click on Prometheus Awards. And if I may repeat just one thought that uh, I employed while introducing Mel, I've I often said in, in on, re- on previous shows that Mel sends unarmed peacekeepers into violent situations. And that's not really true, because while they don't carry rifles and offensive firearms, they do indeed enter into the face of armed combat with the power of words. So if you'd like to learn more about all that amazing power, I invite you to pull up your chair and join us at this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined, to make your careers thrive and your ventures flourish. Mel! Welcome back from your latest peaceworking venture in South Sudan and back to the Art of the CEO radio show. So good to have you here. Yes, it's nice to be back, Bart. Thank you for having me on. Oh, well, it's it's always good. Now, your mission is to protect uh, civilians in violent conflict uh, areas through unarmed strategies. And, you know, while it sounds very necessary and, and noble, it also sounds dangerous and, well, darn near impossible to those of us on the inside. So could you just share uh, one or two examples of how your nonviolent armed trained people have gone about protecting civilians who are surrounded by some very armed, well-armed uh, soldiers, etc.? I think first it's it's important to emphasize that disciplined and strategic nonviolence does effectively protect civilians and prevent violence Mm -hmm. in a variety of the most violent places in the world today. A couple of examples of how that work is done. Uh, As you mentioned, I just returned from South Sudan, where there has been a war that reignited in 2013. Women Mm. staying in uh, camps for internally displaced people have to leave those camps every day to collect firewood because they have to cook. Mm -hmm. They walk into the bush and routinely they have been attacked by either government soldiers or rebels. Rape has been Mm -hmm. weaponized and is used as a means of dominance and revenge. So these women Mm -hmm. are extremely vulnerable, yet 
Their families right. have to eat. What we find sure. if we send three to five of our unarmed civilian protectors with 20 to 30 mm-hmm. women, those women right. are left alone. They have never been hurt. Hmm. That has been 100% effective. Uh, Mel, could I interrupt you right there? I just want to stop. Now, first of all, I want to have two, two things just instantly come to mind. First of all, are the protectors men, always men, and what do they say or what does their presence do? I First of all, about 50% of our unarmed civilian protectors in the field are women, and that's extremely mm-hmm. important in terms of our ability to protect. Right, right. It's not so much what people say at the time. Our uh-huh. power, if you will, depends upon mm-hmm. building relationships with all of mm. the people in the community, including the combatants, whether they be part mm-hmm. of the government or whether they be rebels. We certainly don't agree with them or side with them, uh, but sure. we have to know how to communicate with each other so that when we walk through the bush in our blaze mm-hmm. orange T-shirts, people already okay. know who we are, and that's essential. We just can't walk into... Uh, a strange place, and expect to be able to protect people. Sure, sure. Okay, so you have the, and it's it's a lot of it is just that presence, and uh, and that and that has proved successful. I think that's uh, it's a li- it's both surprising and and wonderful, quite frankly, to, to me just sitting here listening to that. Uh, and I'm and it also must have been. Surprising to to you uh, initially, and so I was just wondering if could you uh, describe for for us listening uh, what planted the whole idea of the nonviolent peace force seed in you personally, and just just uh, what got it uh, all started in both you and and uh, to get it going. Well, there are many many. Um influences that wove themselves together uh, for me to help create Nonviolent Peace Force. I was um, Mm -hmm. brought up in a Methodist household and uh, went to Sunday school and church every week. Mm -hmm. And there I was taught Mm -hmm. about the life of Jesus. And it it was absolutely astonishing to me that people didn't realize that Jesus lived a nonviolent life. And yes. that part of his message is nonviolence. Gandhi quipped once no, no. that the only religion that doesn't realize Jesus was nonviolent is Christianity. So all of that. <laughs> You're absolutely true. They were looking for this. They were anywhere looking for a Zionist a sword slashing Messiah. Yeah, he could have led a holy war when they came to get right. him on that Thursday night. And instead, he said, mm-hmm. Peter, put down that sto- sword. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a lesson. So that was one of the influences in my life. Another influence was growing up uh, in the 1960s and 
following mm. Dr. King, learning about him, getting involved in the civil rights movement, and then the anti-war movement, where I really had mm. to clarify my values in light of the draft. Then in 1984, right, right. We all did. I was part oh, – I'm sorry, Bart, go ahead. Uh, I, okay, I was just I, saying so many of us did, so go ahead. In 1984, I was part of a group that went to to Nicaragua and stayed along the mm-hmm. northern border during uh, what was called the Contra War. And we mm-hmm. had theorized that that war was being deduct, or conducted by the CIA, something that was later brought out in congressional hearings. And what we found was that our presence in villages that were being attacked Deterred. Mm-hmm. Those villages were not attacked when there was a a, a presence. So that got me now, thinking about me. this. Why were they not attacked? In your estimation, why were they not attacked? You know, there's always multiple reasons for our ability to protect. In that instance, right. the Contra War was being orchestrated out of the U.S. Embassy in Honduras. And mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. CIA was training and helping to direct that war. We found yeah. that to kill an American citizen in a covert war <laughs> was just way too much of a public yeah, yeah, yeah. relations problem. And so the mm-hmm, CIA was telling the Contras to stay away from villages where we were staying. Now, there's lots of other ways that we protect, mm. uh, but that that yep. is one deterrence. That's how that worked that way at that time. And so you, like any good like any good craftsman, you use the best tool at hand, right? That's right. And, um, well, now, since you stood before us uh, at the Prometheus Awards two months ago, yeah, <clears throat> and uh, you made an excellent choice for our talk. Uh, you and your team have forged some great collaborative advances. You you gathered up, I believe you said, over 50 groups that, that are now dedicated to unarmed protection of civilians. Um, how did you find them and, and achieve this uh, gathering? Well, we are doing a number of gatherings. After I saw you in September, mm-hmm. we convened groups that are doing this kind of work, which is generically called mm-hmm. unarmed civilian protection. We convened groups mm-hmm. that were doing this work in North America. And so we had people right. who were doing this work along the U.S.-Mexican border, people doing this work mm-hmm. in inner city urban areas, people doing this oh, work around indigenous and First Nations lands and people doing this work along and around large demonstrations. So we do this on a regional mm-hmm. basis, Bart, and we mm-hmm. have now engaged at about 35 different organizations who are doing this work mm-hmm. on multiple levels, some on mm-hmm. the neighborhood-to-neighborhood level, like uh, right. called Mama Bear in Winnipeg, and some uh-huh, doing this uh-huh. on the international level, like um, uh, Presbyterian uh, Peace Fellowship, 
who are accompanying mm-hmm. and protecting people at the U.S.-Mexican border. So it's mm-hmm. on a variety of levels, but there are things that are particular that point out that this is a practice that is being picked up by more and more people spontaneously. There's no one who has gone out to organize these groups. They're just springing yeah. up in various parts of the world. Well, this leads some, me to ask something. I, I, you, I've heard you say when we were talking before that this is sort of a, a, a zeitgeist that's forming worldwide. And, and so what do you think? You're, you're in the middle of it, and you see the groups forming. What What is bringing about this this uh, quest for peace uh, as sort of a defining spirit of our, in our particular history? I think it's our instinct. Uh, As Mm -hmm. a species, Mm -hmm. we have a survival instinct. And we can respond to threats uh, with fear Mm -hmm. and uh, violence, Mm -hmm. or we can respond to threats by understanding and opening ourselves up to relationships and seeing how mm-hmm. we can deal with those conflicts nonviolently. You know, Bart, right. there's over 70 million of us that have had mm-hmm. to flee our homes because of violent wow. conflict. 38,000 people a day. And Hello? that number will continue to grow. And mm-hmm. especially with climate disruption, we're seeing more mm-hmm. and more people having to flee. And so we can yeah. deal with it through very expensive mm-hmm. armed uh, approaches. We can deal with it mm-hmm. by thousands and thousands of people streaming into various countries. And then we see the uh, reaction of people on the the right who then popularize this into a nationalist kind of of uh, opposition, so we can deal with yeah. it that way, and that not worked very well. Or we can deal <laughs> really. with it nonviolently and help mm-hmm. people first and foremost to protect themselves, and then when they need it to provide protection from the international community that will help them stay home and to help them prevent violence. Now that's not every situation. No. People do have to no. flee. But if they yeah, are yeah. equipped with nonviolent ways of dealing with conflict, that will help them all the mm-hmm. way along the route. Yes, right. I see what you're saying. Well, I would say um, you've talked about the various means and protectors. Right now, um, I was wondering if, if, you have, uh, if Nonviolent Peace Force has considered uh, sending – uh, some of its teams into into Congress or into government. Uh, there, there seems to be more conflict there than is good for absolutely anyone. But uh, and also, I I know there's some things happening with 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 Congress and uh, unarmed civilian protection. Can you tell us about that? Yes, right now uh, in the appropriations bill that passed the mm-hmm. U.S. House of Representatives, there is language supporting unarmed civilian protection. There is similar language mm-hmm. that's working its way through the Senate process, although that uh, oh. appropriations bill is currently stalled on the Senate floor. 
but we anticipate yes we anticipate that these uh, this language that really yeah. instructs the State Department and the U.S. Uh, AID uh, to focus some of their resources on unarmed civilian protection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the United States is not the only government that has seen fit to support this kind of work. We have been mm-hmm. supported mm-hmm. Uh, not only by U.N. agencies and the European Union, but also mm-hmm. by uh, the Dutch and the Swiss and the Wonderful. Germans and uh, the United Kingdom and Australia. And Excellent. so there are governments that are realizing that this is the way we have to go. I think I think it's great. And I, may I just add, my friend, the charters work for you. You have heard what Mel has said, and I hope you will uh, to put pen to paper and contact them and tell them that uh, – that unarmed civilian protection is something that you very, very much uh, want to support for uh, nothing else, your own survival. Um, and, and really, you sure you don't want to put a group, send them in to, to stop the, the violent conflict in Congress? Uh, well, we haven't gotten an invitation. We only work uh, oh. <laughs> by invitation uh, from uh, civil society groups. We are civilian to mm-hmm. civilian, so if we got an invitation, we would seriously consider that. However, right now okay. we are uh, assessing how we can do work in Yemen, Burundi, and mm-hmm. Nigeria. So we have a lot that we're looking at right now, um, and unfortunately, <laughs> there's a lot of work for us to do. There is indeed. Besides, I'm not sure Congress would come under the heading of the civil society anyway. Uh, if you have just joined us, you're, you are listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time flows with astonishing. Download all our episodes by You may also enjoy our shows on the TV radio station. Proud member of C Suite Radio, where business is proven fertile brain with aha moments. So just visit uh, all our Art of the CEO episodes on C Suite Radio.com. Now, uh, you mentioned a couple of the uh, groups that are forming around the world, and you're saying that they're both they're both local and um, uh, they're both local and international, and you're doing something that. Uh, that really excites me. You're taking the lead here. You developed this un good. Uh, is some sort of hand to help encourage and guide these these other organizations? Could you repeat your question? You broke up a little bit on me, Bart. Oh, I'm sorry, Mel. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if uh, you're developing this marvelous. Uh, Unarmed Civilian Good Practices Project, and is is it a is this a sort of a handbook to encourage and guide these many new organizations to follow in a, in a peace forging pathway? What more than that? What we're doing is bringing people together on a regional basis, uh, who are doing this work, and through a three day guided retreat 
helping them to bring out what their work is, to validate it, to look at how it can be improved and how it can be scaled up and made more widely available. And so we've done uh, workshops in Manila, Beirut, Nairobi, and uh, Minnesota. The next workshop will be in uh, uh, Bogota in January. And we are learning so much about the good work that people are doing in communities throughout the world. These groups are active in at least 25 areas in the world right now. And we think there's more. And Mm. so through this good practices process, we want to encourage Mm -hmm. the work, use what we learn to improve our work, and more importantly, make this available widespread. So as many groups, from community groups to UN peacekeeping groups, can use these methods. Mel, if I am listening in and I have such a group or I'm thinking of forming such a group, how might I get in contact with you and the Nonviolent Peace Force uh, to to find out about some of your your retreats and so forth? It's easy. Just go to our website, which is nonviolentpeaceforce.org, and it will tell you a lot of background on our work. And there is a place where you can email. Just put it to my attention, Mel, and I will get it and be able to respond. Great. Thank you so much. Mel continues to reveal uh, the power of purposeful and planned peacemaking right after you and I is breached today from today's Feast of Wisdom. And allow me to offer you a few utensils for today's feast. Uh, The first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you seek out one admirable habit or attitude or discipline that uh, one of your compatriots exhibits and custom tailor to your own life journey? Or will you continue to keep your own counsel and changeless routine? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense you're yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste the scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book. So I'm pulling it out here. Here we are. All right. Okay. Okay. This is number 23. I love this. ID badges symbolize your organization's disbelief that you are who you say you are. They're especially prevalent in government offices. <laughs> What do you think, Mel? Are most of us who we say we are? And uh, by the way, does giving us a badge or uniform really bring about some changes in our behavior? No, just giving us a uniform Mm. or a badge doesn't because we are so much more than our printed names. We Mm. that's just a label on the marvelous beings that each of us are. And so uh, I think it would take uh, a flip chart paper for us to wear around if we were really starting (laughs) to accurately describe ourselves. Uh, So that's why I always say my name is Mel Duncan instead of saying I am. 
because I am, but I am much more than just that name. That's very good, Mel. I'm glad you mentioned that. And you know, as as an after my own afterthought on on this clip is that uh, you know you've arrived when you, they mention your name and it's automatically followed by your latest achievement rather than some ID category on your ID badge. Um, at any rate, if you smoked a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books full. Just visit BartsBooks.com and pick up your copy of the 102 or the 101 business quip books, and all your beautifying joy will slap over your phone away flavors that work like Parmesan on pizza. So, uh, and as a third utensil, we sumptuously spoon to you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the individual who said... Heroes need monsters to establish their heroic credentials, and all of us need something scary to overcome. Those words were spoken by none other than poetess and critic and author of The Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood. Congratulations to all you winners, and stick with us, because later on in the show, Blurting Your Way, comes another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down, as you believe he's going to be an email it right off to info at bartsbooks. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a igniting gift freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's bookstore. And Mel will lay out his strategies in overcoming urban gang violence, among others, right after I make this introduction to you of the company by whose good graces we're here today. And that firm is Prometheus Publishing. And this very day, Prometheus Publishing would like to invite you to look at a book that's helped a great many women break through and gone upwards in their careers. It's entitled Behind Every Successful Woman Is Herself. <laughs> it's really a gem of a guide embracing the thoughts of leading business women. And it provides uh, techniques and disciplines and those all-important attitudes for ladies who want their career and their ventures to soar meteorically. And with 13 uh, notably successful women business leaders as authorities and over 80 others contributing their proven ideas. There lie in these pages a host of avenues for the lady on the rise. It makes an ideal holiday gift for the woman who is on her way up in the business community. So pick up your copy at bartsbooks.com bookstore. Carpe diem, my friend. You are indeed worth it. And right now we shall return to Mel Duncan, founder of the Nonviolent Peace Force, as he lays out some specific uh, tactics for of the unarmed peacekeeper is used. Now, uh, we, you did lay out, uh, you did talk about uh, one specific situation abroad, and I know that in more, uh, a lot of our North American cities, uh, gang violence is under scrutiny and people are working to defeat it. And I hear this stuff all the time about, uh, we, uh, about well, we've got to get rid of the gangs. And it, Sapiens. We're a, a, a communal people, a, a communal animal, and start getting together. So, but but so often the gangs, the urban gangs, do bring violence to each other, and with equal measure on those on anyone standing nearby. What are one or two tactics that really have helped uh, in this situation? Certainly, uh, urban violence. Uh, can be dealt with through unarmed approaches. One of the most prominent mm-hmm. groups 
doing that in the United States is a group called Cure Violence, Cure Violence, uh, who deal with violence as a health, a public health issue. And they will recruit former gang members, people who have credibility in that neighborhood on the street, and have uh, one approach that they call violence interruption, where if a person is killed, tragically, usually usually a young man, the interrupters will go to the hospital, the home, the gang uh, of the young person who was killed and work with people not to retaliate, not to Ah. go against the other gang uh, who committed the murder, but to deal with this in other ways. And the people doing this are often former gang members themselves. And so Mm. they're Mm. not only intervening and interrupting that cycle of violence, but they're also helping to change the norms as to Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. is acceptable and what uh, are the appropriate responses uh, to violence. And they have uh, been very successful in places like Chicago, Baltimore, Brooklyn, Yonkers. Mm. And so they're they're worth uh, taking a look at. And they're at uh, cureviolence.org. And so that's what I mean when I say there are all these groups that are rising up and finding that you cannot deal with violence with more violence. You cannot Mm -hmm, prevent mm -hmm. and protect people by bringing in more guns to situations that are already just burdened with arms. Mel, you said to me something when we were talking before, and I found it absolutely chilling in its reality. Uh, about what you're doing, the work you're doing is is very serious, and it's 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 really you come up with some hellish decisions that make you make very difficult decisions. And you were saying that when you're sort of sitting at a bar after a long and perhaps terrifying day, you your fellows would look at each other uh, and and ask each other to quote name my least worst decision of the day. Could you explain to us what you mean by that term and why you use it? Well, first of all, let let me change the scene a little bit. In the areas <laughs> and locations where we work, there is seldom a bar. Uh, so the, uh, sure. we live sorry, and work with people who are experiencing the most violence and uh, who um, uh, really have the most to say about how to prevent Mm. that violence. Because every community has their own approaches to protecting themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes those approaches are overrun by the intensity of the violence, but our job is not to, to tell them what to do. Our job is to help them get back to the place where they can protect themselves without uh, the support of unarmed civilian protectors. So all the time we are faced in the field with having to decide, 
uh, issues of, of life and death. Who do we protect? Mm-hmm. Who do mm-hmm. we not protect? What yeah. area do we go to yeah. with very limited resources? That means we're not going to another area. So there's always these dilemmas that uh, we sit yeah. with. And often uh, only other people doing this kind of work understand the turmoil that goes on because of those dilemmas. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's, uh, it, it is, as you say, a, uh, filled with, with dilemmas. It is, some, it is some of the toughest choices that, that people can have to make and because they are so necessary uh, and, but so impossible to deal with, with the enormity of the problem. Um, I, would you feel comfortable sharing with us right now one of your least worst decisions? Hmm. Um, let me think. Uh, you know, for me right now, it is deciding where it is that we will focus our resources in terms of the development of new projects. Um, mm-hmm. And that always means that we're not uh, choosing another area. And those decisions yes, right. are excruciating. Uh, and sure. if we go through a thorough assessment process, but sometimes we have to say no to groups that really do need our mm-hmm. assistance, but we simply don't have the resources. And those that those are some very difficult decisions to make. Oh, I'm sure. No, I. Uh, one of the you, you do face a, a problem that is very typical in, in many business and organizational connections, and that is you're with people who are you're you're getting together different groups, you're bringing them together, and with you. And I was wondering, what's the attitude when these groups come together? It, uh, everyone has built up their own turf, if you will, their own method of doing things. Uh, how, 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 what is the answer to the groups when they do come together? Well, first of all, we start with those peacemakers and human rights defenders who are already in those communities. What we have found mm-hmm. that throughout the world, in the most violent places today, there are creative and courageous peace builders, peacemakers, human rights defenders. More often than mm-hmm. not, they're women. And so hmm, we, we find often when we join together, there's more of an attitude that we're already affirming the work that, that they're doing. We don't go into the community to do uh, capacity development. It is much more capacity recognition. And so those infrastructures, those people are still there. There are always people who are looking for ways to build peace. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's an important message that we need to get out. And that is that there are more peace builders, more peacekeepers, more unarmed civilian protectors, more conflict transformers, more mediators, 
more civil resistors. Mm -hmm. There are more of us on the planet today than ever before in history, and that number continues to grow. And that is what is so exciting. And at the same, and Mel, I know that you are working with with them all. I think it, I think it's marvelous. And I just wanted to, uh, and while it's expanding globally, I did want to sort of turn to one specific need that that uh, you have. Um, I know that uh, many of the people who are hearing us now will want to help in. Uh, both spiritually and, and physically and financially. And I know that, that you're facing, you're battling to prevent a particularly massive genocide. And we won't go into the details because of, because of the agents in the field. But could you tell us um, how, the, how our listeners might uh, be able to, to contribute and donate and, and uh, fight this upcoming genocide? Well, thank you for for bringing that up, and because we don't want to uh, risk the people who are doing this work, we aren't talking about the place uh, publicly. Mm -hmm. But uh, genocide and atrocity crimes can be prevented if there is mm -hmm. enough early intervention and work on the ground. And so right. we are involved with that really in a number of places. And the earlier we can get in, the more we can work with people and build relationships, the less likely th there is to be atrocity crimes. More community. And how might violence. we go about contributing to help with that, to get those boots on the ground early? Please go to nonviolentpeaceforce.org, and you will see a donate button, and we can uh, take your uh, donations through credit cards, and if you want mm -hmm. to send checks, please send them to 2610 University Avenue West in St. Paul, Minnesota. That's where our, our U.S. office is, and the zip for that mm -hmm. is 55114. All right. Excellent. Mel, this has been so enlightening and so hopeful to have you uh, come on the show and tell us how, uh, in the face of what is may, can be so horrific, that so much progress is being made, and it it really just sends a ray of hope and uh, perhaps some grim times. So I thank you so much for coming on, and, and bless you for doing all the work you're doing. Well, Bart, I always enjoy talking with you. You tend to bring out the better. Uh, in me and to challenge me in that way, so I appreciate <laughs> that. I do want to give one clarification, and that is, well, sure. one of my influences was uh, growing up in a Methodist church. Nonviolent Peace Force right. is totally non-denominational, and we have people oh, good, of all that. the major faiths who work with us and those who profess no faith uh, whatsoever. And so we need mm -hmm. this. We're welcome to people, uh, wel welcoming four people who uh, are of many different religions or hold no religion whatsoever. Okay. Thank you very much, Mel. And I, I think people will should, should know that. And I thank you for bringing it up. And thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Bart. I really appreciate it. Okay.
So as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. The chief value of money is the one that is who, who said, I'm sorry, who said, the chief value of money is that one lives in a world in which it is so completely overestimated. <laughs> as a social uh, was the same ones when he cut the uh, Scopes monkey file and said, you know, it's even harder to believe that it's descended from man. And remember, if you know the author of this quote, so scribble the sage's name down as you believe I'm going to be. Send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com to win a career-igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Books. Be sure to tune into the others. Because the Art of the CEO is coming up to its 300th episode, and we are celebrating a special show in which we gather the most wise and hilarious and uh, really the most helpful business advice from this vast store of business knowledge and this half-vast store of knowledge from the uh, host. So get set to laugh and jot down some aha moments from the advice of the masters. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, so we enter the Thanksgiving season, a word of warning to all your employers. Turkeys in the oven cost about $1.29 a pound, but turkeys in the C-suite cost a quarter of your entire year's revenues. Better eat them than promote them. <laughs> and to you, gleefully sharing this piece, I hope you've enjoyed the Art of the CEO show as much as Mel and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember that you may download and all shows at theartoftheceo.com. And finally to you, who have shared, have honored us by sharing your time with us. As always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you. You're welcome, Bart, and thank you 